I'm Tony Gargan and welcome to the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast. I'm Tony Gargan, I'm your host today and today we have something really, really special. I am joined today by multiple business owner, founder of the TMD Media Group, public speaker, property investor and trainer, podcast host, dad of four, mental health advocate, no nonsense, no bullshit, straight talking, Scott Billy Farrell. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be part of the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Very welcome. That was a, a great intro. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> I think that's the angle that I'd love to take it. Those who listen to my podcasts regularly know that I do free-flowing podcasts. We get as much information as we can. And I'd just like it to be you telling us a little bit about you, your businesses, hints, tips, and things that are actionable, that aspiring speakers, trainers, you know, salespeople looking for some better skills and tips can learn from the highs and lows, the successes, the mistakes, and the the kind of fast track route to their success. So with that in mind, I've done a little mini intro. I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit of just a mini intro around you and um, what you do in terms now of public speaking, presenting and pitching, because you have an array of skill set in that. Where do I start, Tony? Where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) I could go all the way back here or I could start now. Um, As it relates to public speaking, let's try and keep it around that. So uh, for me personally, I've been in business for 16 years now. Um, That did not start from a very positive place. I had a very rough upbringing and ultimately I always felt that there was more to life that I wasn't experiencing, that almost felt like it wasn't meant for me. I grew up with the kind of attitude that money doesn't grow in trees, rich people con people, and if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. All the usual bullshit that you hear from many working class, middle class parents growing up. And uh, for me, I always wanted more. So one day in 2004, I hit rock bottom and picked up a Tony Robbins book. And that was the start for me. And the funny thing is, Tony shared two ideas that really lit me up. The first idea was that the past does not equal the future, that if a thing is possible, that you can do it. So whatever's happened to this point in your life, it's done. That's it. And if a thing is possible, if other people have done it, then why not you? And that was the two things that Tony shared, which really woke me up and made me realize that there might actually be more to life. So I started my business journey, tried all sorts of different things. I have been involved in all sorts of different industries. I have spoke at different points in my career. Uh, at the early days of the Scottish Property Meet, which we set up, um, MLM, Network Marketing, I was involved in that quite aggressively for a period of time as well, which we can touch on too. And um, speaking's always been a, a constant thread throughout the years because it's a great way of reaching an audience. It's a great way of connecting with people and it's a great way of communicating a message to pull the right people towards you. So speaking's been a thread throughout. So my business journey started off trying all sorts of different things, trying to find out where I fit in the world. I even went to a business coach at one point and I said to the guy, look, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm trying all these different ideas. I'm reading all these books. I'm, I just don't know what to do. And he had such a hard time clarifying what I should be doing with my life too, which amazed me because it was staring me right in the face. And that was ultimately marketing, that I was a marketer, that my passion was not in any particular line of work, but was in communicating a strong message, something I believe in with the people who need to hear it and pulling them in. And whatever the business was, as long as I was getting to do that, to make beautiful things that work and to find ways of communicating messages for products and services that work, as long as I found ways of doing that, I was happy. That's what made me come alive. So I tried lots of different things, had many ups and downs over the years. I'm involved in many different businesses today. It's very hard to summarize what I do for a living right now, <laughs> but you kind of touched on it a little bit there. But speaking's definitely always been a big part of that. I love for anyone who is listening, because we do get a lot of people who are listening who are quite new to any form of kind of public speaking or presenting or even have fears around it. And the fact that you've said from someone so successful as you that I didn't know 
and actually it's really quite difficult to pinpoint down now what it is you know what you do it's a marketer first and foremost but actually that it's not a one size fits all and I think that's really important for people to hear because so many people float about testing and trial and different things and see that as failure when actually it could be perceived completely the flip side which is actually you've tried and tested things that don't serve you and you're you're carving your own path out there is funds like I'm such a geek. Everyone who knows me knows that I sit and write loads of notes and I've written loads already there around it, but there's two big threads there. Well, the first one is when you talk about coming alive. I want to touch upon that because often people see the success, you know, we use the analogy of the iceberg and people see the, see the tip of the iceberg. They see you successful. They see you uh, as a successful marketer. They know what you're doing in property and in training and they can see all of those successes. But, there's hard work and there's, you know, you touched upon a few things where you tried things and they didn't work. And I think that's the lesson often people need to hear. And I love the phrase that you talk about coming alive. And I'd really love to touch upon that about how you went from, you know, trialing and testing lots of different areas that it hasn't always been easy, you know, starting from a young age, those phrases that many of us heard, you know, money doesn't grow on trees and the, the, the kind of money blueprint that, sets us in the direction and the trajectory of where we're going um and you use the phrase it wasn't meant for me uh, and that I think many people will relate to so how did you go from opening a Tony Robbins book feeling like in your words you know rock bottom to where you are now successes failures you know the the routes along the way the the good speeches the bad speeches I'm not gonna I know this is a long question but I'm trying to find just a little bit of info around you know, if you could pick kind of four, five, six key pointers between, because the success story will be people see that you read a Tony Robbins book and then you became this big success, but there's obviously been highs and lows along the way. Totally. Oh, 100%. I mean, this this is one of the big things. I, I am what you might call a reluctant speaker, Tony. Uh, I, I don't actually love getting up and speaking, but I love when I get the opportunity to impact people, and that usually comes through speaking which is a total flip <laughs> and quite a difficult one to get my head around. But um, this is one of the things that displeases me about the training world, that many people will use their story to try and sell when a large part of that story has a lot of gaps in it and is ultimately there to simply lead someone down a path minus the authenticity that should come with it. And that really pisses me off. And it's something that's annoyed me over the years because I remember 2011, a couple of years into doing what I do, and I was speaking at a property event because I do a lot of marketing and property. Mm. I'm speaking at this event and I'm looking at the room and there's a couple of hundred people there and I'm just thinking, why are you writing things down? Like, why even bother? Most of you won't do anything with this. You're going to write it down, you're going to get all inspired, you're going to high-five. This was obviously pre-COVID times, <laughs> hug each other, you know. And um, then you're going to go away and do fuck all with it. And that really got to me. And it was the same thing when I was when we brought Grant Cardone to the UK in 2018. I'm standing in front of 2,000 people in London and I'm thinking the same thing. And I know that sounds somewhat pessimistic and you know, looking at people and thinking the worst, but it's not like that. It's like, I want the absolute best for people, which is why whenever I do speak, the word authenticity is fucking number one. It's the most important thing. So to go back to what you asked there, when I first got going, I failed miserably. I failed miserably. I had no idea what I was doing. The reason I read the Tony Robbins book is because I started going to A, <laughs> uh, I had a, a lot of drama going on in my life. I know it's supposed to be anonymous, this is a podcast, but there you go. It's me, so I can see it. Uh, but I hit rock bottom, December 17th, 2004. Um, just miserable, Tony. Depressed, fed up, just hating life and feeling like I wasn't getting what I wanted for my life because I really didn't believe it was possible for me. And... I got really drunk that night for like the God knows how many consecutive nights in a row. And that night was the last one. A lot of bad things happened. Next day I woke up, had no idea what had gone on. And then I get some text messages through and I thought, okay, shit. <laughs> you know, you get the fear. Well, that happened to me. And when I went into my work, I had this 
almost what you would call a Tony Robbins type breakthrough moment where I walked into work and I looked at 300 people who I worked with and every one of them were judging me. And I thought to myself, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm the class clown, centre of attention, always the, the the one that's getting into trouble, causing it, etc. And I thought if something bad happened to me, not one of these people would care. I would be gossip for a couple of weeks and then I would be gone. And in that moment, I quit my job. I walked out. Uh, I actually insulted my manager, who was my friend, so it was quite interesting. Um, but I'd say, and he's like, what are you doing? I said, just roll with me here because I need to do this because I can't come back. Walked out, got rid of the phone number, left it all and uh, picked up Tony Robbins. Went into the, the working world trying to figure out what I was going to do with myself. I took a little break for life to just try and figure that out. And then I just started doing different ideas. I went to a marketing seminar and there was loads of people pitching for stage and I bought into some of the ideas and I started trying things and then I would go to other companies and I would find what they'd done and then I would help them take that to market. I would help them make that work. But the problem is I had zero business experience. Mm. I had no knowledge of what I was really doing. My mindset was that of someone growing up in a council estate in, in central Scotland, um, the south side of Glasgow. Um, very, very rough place. I had no idea what I was doing. So within a couple of years, I went bankrupt and I lost it all. Uh, anything that I had managed to do, fucked it up, lost it and uh, had to start again. Took a job for a year to try and figure out what was happening and, and get myself back on my feet. Found a little bit of peace in that process because that year, I remember leaving work on the first day and thinking, wow, I don't have to think about work anymore. Mm. Like, you know that feeling like, yeah. you know, when you work for yourself, you you carry that constantly. Mm. And I remember leaving work and thinking, wow, I don't have to actually think about work. I can go home and, oh my God, this is like a new freedom. <laughs> but people like us, we only last so long in that kind of position. So uh, I lasted uh, 11 months and then I went back out and started doing what I was doing again. But this time... Um, from a more intelligent place and I think what's really important from that for people to, to hear is that you really have to go down to the fundamentals here I, I'm a big believer in um, educating myself and, and uh, a lot of people have got their opinions on courses and trainers and all the rest of it and look rightly so because there is a lot of bullshit out there there's a lot of people who are doing a bad job there really is but there's also people out there who are doing a good job. And I think that if you can get your bullshit detector on high alert, if you can start to determine who's good, who's not, and not just take the opinions of the haters as your due diligence standards, then you can actually start to find some really good stuff for some really good people. You take that and you add that onto the absolute fundamentals that many people forget, such as discipline, hard work, consistency, getting shit done when you don't feel like it. And you just keep moving forward and things actually start to work out. So for the last 10 years, that's been my pattern. Do the work every day, whether you feel like it or no, keep moving forward, keep doing the things you don't want to do. Do the worst first, focus on the things that matter most, cut the shit and win. <laughs> simple in a nutshell great podcast thanks for having me. I love that thank you and again, there's tons in there that I want to touch upon but the, the two key themes there for me are authenticity which I know is really you know it's prominent in terms of what you're doing and also vulnerability that often people hide that when actually that's a big tool for you is that you yeah. talked earlier on about you drawing people to you as a marketer and I'm a massive believer in that that we draw people to us sometimes the good sometimes the bad and you've got to cut the wheat from the chaff um, and, and I link this back to kind of your success in multi-level marketing which we'll touch upon if that's okay is that you'll draw people in you know there's these preconceived ideas around MLM around trainers and speakers and you know using a story and using vulnerability to sell uh, and I'm you know I use stories and everything that I do I, I stand on stage and deliver trainings but that was always my big kind of hard stuff that I couldn't get my head around and th to know that you've found your route around that to showcase your vulnerability to still be authentically you but to realize that actually you could still do it so th there's loads in there that I want to touch upon the, the failing forward thought process around the fact that you know some people will say you, you said I failed miserably 
which yes, you may have failed to get certain results, but in the grand scheme of things, hasn't that made you? Oh made, yeah, listen, uh, made you the person you are. You win or you learn. You win or you learn. Yeah. You know, and, and this is the thing, even in the last few years, because whenever you do these sort of podcasts, you always have people doing a little bit of digging in, which <laughs> I totally welcome. It's, it's fine. I'm an open book. Um, but even over the last few years, most of the companies that I'm involved in, it's the ownership and shareholding. So a lot of what I do is silent. Yes. And there's things that I've done silently and publicly that have failed in the last few years. And I think that's something that people need to acknowledge too. because. In the UK in particular, there's a big stigma against failing. There's a stigma against uh, facing bankruptcy. There's a stigma against losing a business. But anyone who's been in business long enough understands that that's kind of part of the the process, to drop the ball, to make mistakes, but to do so responsibly and, you know, own up to where you've fucked it up and make amends where appropriate, rather than some people just burn companies and then restart and things like that. I'm not for that. I'm for doing things right. But that's something else to throw in is that as long as the trajectory is generally upwards, you can have the ups and downs along the way as long as the path is generally up. Sorry, back to you. No, no. Again, there's so much. With my podcast, I'd rather be able to just pull little bits out and let you speak. I've got two ears and one mouth for that reason. I've written lots of different words there. And one of that you'd said was impact. So you said very early on, it's about connecting with people and communicating. And I think that's one of the reasons that I was drawn to you as a speaker is that, you know, that authenticity is there. There's no bullshit. The approach is this is me, take me or leave me. And I think that is a, a it's a skill set. You know, not everyone is born with that, you know, especially even if you're saying now as a child, you know, that you can't do this, you shouldn't do that, those things that maybe were in your ear. For people who see you now as the success and the person who's willing to take you know you'll put controversial posts out there if you believe in it on your social media you'll say something without fear of what other people will judge you and and to link that back to you walking into that office with 300 people and thinking you're all judging me I always say on on this podcast and everything that I do is that people are going to judge you anyway, so better they judge you for who you actually are. And I think you epitomise that. So how did you make that shift from the person who was maybe the class clown, the person who potentially was doing that because you want people to like you and it draws people in and, you know, we, we all like that feeling. How do you flip that then to being okay with people judging you for who you are and, and standing up and being you? Multi-level marketing. Really? <laughs> okay, let's dig into that. Yeah. Okay, okay. So uh, I'll tell you that story. Um, 2014, um, someone came to me and said, uh, can I come and see you? I've got a business opportunity. And I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. Here we go. One of the ones. And, and I was like, no, it's not happening, right? And this was my best mate. And he came to me. I let him pitch me. I signed up. And the moment he left my house, I quit. I, I, I wrote to the company saying, you're about to get an application from me. I don't want in. <laughs> you know? And here's how unhelpful I was with this. That same person. This is how not for the idea of multi-level marketing I was. That same person then came back to me a few weeks later and said, Billy, can you help out here? Someone is looking to get a bonus. Someone you know is looking to get a bonus. And the only way they get a bonus is if we sign up another customer because the only way money was made in this business was through customers. There was It wasn't through people signing up and all that. That that was not the case, which is pyramid schemes, obviously. Yeah. And he said, all you have to do is switch your gas and electricity. <laughs> he said, you already know you're getting a discount. It's so easy. I'll do it all for you. Will you help? No. <laughs> no. No, I won't. That's, that's how I felt about MLM. But then over the course of a year, I sat and watched this person out and about networking, meeting people, shaking hands, attending events, traveling across Europe and to LA. And I thought, I kind of want that. You know, they're they living life and I'm working from home, lonely, which sometimes being in business for yourself can be. Mm. And, and I just felt lonely and I'm looking out and thinking, I want to be part of something. Yeah. So I've done my own homework. I realized that the business was awesome and I joined up. Now, there's a few different threads in this story, Tony, so I'll just roll with this, right? Oh, yeah. There's things that you've asked and other things that I know you're probably going to ask. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So for me, up until that point, public speaking had always been a fear for me. I'd done it, but it was a fear. 
previously I was the guy who sat around the table with you know six or seven people that I talked to every day in work. But then when it came my turn to speak, all I could hear was my heartbeat. And I was red in the face. I, I, I sit and talk to these same people about my weekend. But then when you put us in a boardroom and I know it's my turn to speak, heart was thumping, face was quite red. I was absolutely terrified. I was hoping that somebody would set the fire alarm off. Or, you know, the kind of things you do at school when you've got a test and you're like, please, somebody, you know, break into the building or something, <laughs> anything. God, if you're there, help. And uh, <coughs> I was that guy. But then when I got involved in network marketing, I hadn't done anything like that in a few years. And I remember really buying into this business. I mean, I really bought into this because... I understood how the money worked. I understood that people only get paid when people took services, when there was products and services. It's the only time people get paid. And I thought, I fucking love this. This is great. People are saving money. People can join and make money, passive income. This is awesome. You know, so I was sitting at a, a, a networking event and they were doing the usual pitch to get people into the business. And I'm sitting listen to a couple of friends up talking to this room of people and then I realised they're going to ask me to come up and speak and the heart starts thumping again and I'm like oh shit, oh shit, oh shit I can't do this right? they're, going to, they're talking about this testimonial for somebody who's come into the business and done really well and I'm like that's fucking me oh no, I can't do this <laughs> but then I looked around the room and it was quite interesting because when I looked behind me what I actually saw was a bunch of normal, down-to-earth people, my kind of people. I've got no time for people who are full of shit or up their own ass. And I looked around the room and I saw people and I thought, you know, that guy looks like my dad. And that person looks like my mum. And that could be my uncle. These are normal people who came to this room for a reason. They came to this room because they want change in their life. And they're hoping this might be something that provides that. And I happen to really believe that that's the case with this particular business at that point in time, might I add, because that business has changed. Mm. And I thought, okay, not only am I going to stand up and speak, but I'm going to speak directly for the heart as if I've only got one opportunity to impact these people and I'm not going to cut any corners. And when I was asked to go up and speak, I was so real and so raw and I just spoke to the people who were looking at me. And I really connected with them. And we had a massive sign-up rate that night. And I thought, well, I'm quite good at this. This is fun. <laughs> so what's quite funny is that one of the one of the, the leaders in the local community, he came to me and said, Billy, that was great, but you can't swear. He said, you're too rough with people. You're too rough. And I was like, okay, fuck you. <laughs> and that was that. Um, and, and then I set a very public goal, which everyone was aware of, which I had to then go and hit. So I kind of went off my own and done my own thing. And within a year, we built a team of just under 3,000 people across the UK. And that was purely through believing in it, speaking with passion, and talking to real people about real shit and no bullshit, showing them the opportunity. Did everybody come in and make money? No. But at the end of the day, that is ultimately down to people's ability to come in and do the work. When the support's there and people don't use it, they're not going to get the results. It's as simple as that. And I know that a lot of people who are anti-training, anti-opportunity, etc., will turn around and say, well, these people always blame the person for not doing the work. Well, what the fuck do you think is going to happen? Like, you know, you get the best personal trainer in the world. They give you the diet plan. They tell you how to train. You've got to lift the fucking weight. You've got to run. You've got to put the food in your If you don't, don't blame the fucking trainer for your inability to do what's required. So anyway, uh, a lot of people come in, but what one thing that I loved is that we really did have a big, tight community. Uh, people looked out for each other. It was more than just a business opportunity. It was something that people really got behind. And that's when I fell in love with the idea of helping people and, and being real to do so. So how did I end up becoming the person who didn't really care as much what people thought of me? <laughs> well... One day that business decided to turn the corner and we got invited to, I think it was Barcelona, to a leaders meeting. And I went to this leaders meeting and they basically told us that the entire compensation plan was changing 
that there was no longer as much margin in uh, business utilities because we were doing uh, gas, electricity, phones, broadband for uh, normal consumers and for businesses as well, residential and corporate. And they said that there's no more money in it. Things are too tight. And they're now, wait to hear this, switching to hair care and skin care. Right? Now, first of all, I've been no hair, <laughs> right? And second, I, the, the majority of my team were, if you want to call it, alpha males. <laughs> it was like walking into the road for Wall Street or something. It was crazy. Um, we had a lot of strong females there too, but it was predominantly male. And then I'm being told to sell these people this idea of selling hair care and skincare. And I thought, okay. And I looked at the numbers and I thought, you know, I feel like we're walking over the edge of a cliff and I'm leading everybody with me. Mm. The opportunity to make the money that people were making previously is no longer there. The the business that I was part of no longer exists as it did. And I thought the only way to change this is to leave. And the problem is I was at the head of 3,000 people. So for me to leave publicly, I could either do it by saying the company's shit, they've screwed everybody over, walk away, or by leaving quietly. And I weighed up those options and I thought to myself, you know, if I walk away and try and drag the company down, then I'm actually going to hurt people because a lot of people have really invested themselves emotionally, financially in this business. Not everybody wants to make 10, 15, 20 grand a month. Some people just want that sideline income. Some people are just there for the community. And I thought, you know, just because it no longer meets my goals and my values, doesn't mean it doesn't work for everybody else. So I just made a wee public statement that I was going to step back and focus on something different. And I became somewhat of a hate figure <laughs> among many people. Wow. And it was going through, no, no, no total hate, but just you get people who blame you for, um, you know, because you're at the front and then you step back. It's like your fault. It's, it's the same victim mentality bullshit that, caused many people not to do the work and also point the finger. Uh, and going through that kind of process, we started up our own a network marketing company, which after a while I thought this isn't working and we scrapped that and moved on. But going through that whole process and being in a very aggressive, very fast-paced game where every single day you had no idea who was trying to get one over on you, no idea who was trying to pull the rug from under your feet, steal your people, and all this sort of stuff, it was just so fast-paced that at the start of it all, I was actually the guy who would phone people up because I never wanted anyone to be upset with me. I would phone people up and say, look, what's the problem? I heard you had an issue with me. Come on, let's go. I'll meet you at McDonald's at midnight and we'll, we'll talk, you know, and, and I wanted everybody to be happy, no one to be upset with me. There's still part of that in me because I, I do, I want to do a good job and I always want to do what's right. But what I've also realized over the years is that if you're in the spotlight and if you're in business, no matter what you do, you're always going to offend, piss people off and annoy people. People talk about haters and naysayers and critics, but here's the reality. There's 7 billion people on the planet. Every single one of those people has different upbringings, morals, values, life experiences, stories, beliefs, ideas, cultures, all sorts of different people in the world. And when you say, I like the colour brown, other people say, well, I like the colour blue. Fuck you and your brown. <laughs> you can't say something without someone else seeing it a different way. So I tend to not get as frustrated when people bite back at me these days mm. because I know that it's no always it's no always for a place of badness. A lot of the time it's just from a place of a different stance, a different viewpoint. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And... I love the fact that you showcase both the like your your passion shows through massively when you're talking about the things that you're talking about when you were talking about multi level marketing and you had that realization that you know these are real people and I can really help them and that impact came through again. Um, integrity shows through because it was like taking them down a different path. It's not the right route for me. Your ability to both show that passion and, you know, with, I was talking about with my husband earlier on about this, about like how accents are just the most unreal thing, that by living in one area in the world, you have this accent. And that 
in reality and logistically, you and I aren't actually that far apart in the grand scheme, mm. of things, but accents are totally different. And, you know, I talked to Ellie about this as well, Ellie Mackay is about like, I will sound, when I sound passionate, people think I'm shouting at them. And I'm angry. And I love that when you're passionate, you, you'll frown and you'll say it. And, and that's passion. And that, I think, is the most real thing that you can show. But from that to the complete opposite of sitting back in the chair and talking about how, you know, my decision could change these people's lives, the way in which I exit the business. And that light and shade, I think, is what makes people a good speaker, is what makes people a good communicator. Because other with this whole podcast is around presenting pitching and public speaking a lot of that public speaking is just using your own social media platforms to have an opinion to speak one-on-one with people and I think for for our listeners to hear that from you and those dichotomies and those challenges that you faced with that level-headed approach of let me just sit back and think about this you know all the way back to that evening in 2004 when you know everything kind of turned on its head I think one thing that I, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that you're you authentically, and I think that's what draws people in. I talk about an ABC with speaking, which is authenticity, believability, and congruence. And one of the things that you mentioned around that product or that service or that offering was that you believed in it. And I think that you cannot sell anyone on an idea unless you believe in it yourself. Uh, and that's unless you're a club man. Well, yeah, snake oil salesman as well. <laughs> yeah, and, and that. That, that becomes a passion then as well, isn't it? To showcase how you can believe in something but be different from the people who aren't just in it for what they can get out of it. It's not all about the money. The money becomes a byproduct. It's about helping people in that integrity and that impact. You've used the word a few times, along with the word community. And I love that because I know that's something that you've created and, you know, you very briefly touched upon, you know, oh, we brought Grant Cardone over 2018. Alongside your your business partners, you brought over Grant Cardone to, you know, to, to London and to Glasgow um, to host an event. So how do you then go from being the kind of reluctant speaker who feels the need to speak, but not necessarily from the this is me, I'm amazing stance? How do you then go from that to bringing over one of the biggest names in property, real estate, business? Where does the, how does that fit in, you know, from... If we look at it in a linear timeline, and this is why I love to dig a little bit deeper on a podcast, we look at it from council estate to 300 people in a job and feeling judged, but in the background, you know, hitting rock bottom to starting businesses, to failing at businesses, to success, to loss of money and loss of, you know, belongings and assets, to having the ability to keep trying again. I think that's something I'm going to touch upon in a little while, if that's all right. But then to just keep putting yourself out there and testing and trialing different things, knowing that people will judge you and knowing that it could go amazingly or it could go awfully. Because obviously when bringing over someone of, of that calibre, you know, there's ticket sales needed. There's a lot of money that goes into it, a massive planning that goes into it and all of that fear. How did you overcome that fear? What was the deciding factor to do it and how did you put it into play? Okay, so the Cardone story. What happened there was, I, I, I loved Grant Cardone's books, uh, and a lot of people have got criticism again of Grant as a speaker and everything else. But if you look at Grant's early work, his books, they're, they're really, really good. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to get something from it, sure, there'll be things in there you might not like, but you take. Someone once said to me, it was a, a guy that I was doing some marketing for, and I remember just really trying to get as much as I could for this guy. And I remember giving him a bit of advice from a marketing point of view. And this guy had a big pensions company. And he stopped listening to me at one point. And I said, are you listening? He said, no, no, no. He said, I've got what I need. And that's what I'm going to use. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And I asked him what he meant. I haven't seen that. Sorry, shouting at me. (laughs) Sorry. Um, I remember saying to him, you know, what, what do you mean by all that? And he said, well, he will listen to people who know what they're talking about he'll take what he needs for that conversation and then he'll discard the rest. Mm. And that's why I've always been able to look at different speakers, good, bad, and different, and take the good and let go of everything else. Yeah. Uh, because even the worst speakers have always got something in there that you can take and use. So I remember um, loving Grant's work in the network marketing days, and 10 Extra was great for me. And fast forward to 2018, um, myself, my business partner and another chap who was a client and a friend, they 
had this idea of bringing Grant Cardone over to the UK. And I just thought, bullshit, just chat. It's just chat, that's all. And I sat down and looked at the numbers with them and it actually kind of made sense and, and we had the ability to fund it. And between the three of us, we had the connect, we had the ability to fund it, we saw the gap in the market and we thought, let's just do it. So it was, it was a risk because there wasn't a lot of time to pull this together and we didn't actually have anything other than a, let's bring it to Donovan. <laughs> you know, it was, that, that was it. That was the extent of the business plan. We didn't sit and map this out. It was like, fuck it, let's just do this. And um, conversations began. And then we flew to Miami. We went to Grant's studio. We actually appeared on his show, um, which was streamed online. That was really good. And we signed the paperwork, made the payments. And uh, aye, that was that. The funny thing is, when we put the dates in the calendar for the event, it was November. And we had seven and a half weeks from that point until that date to, wait, you hear this, to find a venue in London that would hold a couple of thousand people to organise all the audio-visual, the catering, the rooms, the transport, security, everything, mm-hmm. um, to market the whole thing. We didn't have a name, we didn't have a website, we didn't have anything. And we decided not only to do it in London, but to also do it in Glasgow and to do it, in, well, to partner with another company in Cardiff, they were running something that we were going to plug into. And we thought, how the hell are we going to do this? And then uh, the media company, which is my passion, that's where my focus is today, which let's bring that back towards the end. Um, we basically pulled out all the stops and all three of us got dirty and we figured it out. And within seven and a half weeks, we'd sold out all the seats at the venue, the Intercontinental at the O2, um, the SEC in Glasgow, and then the other thing in Cardiff as well. So we made it work somehow. It was incredibly stressful. Um, now, you know what I did with my social media, don't you? I do. You know, definitely want to touch on that. Right, I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll bring that in because that's part of this. Perfect. Um, when I was doing that event, I remember... Uh, I was the first speaker and I was standing up stage. I walked to a couple of thousand people in the room and it wasn't really, I, I actually find it easier speaking to big rooms than small rooms because small rooms, somebody's sitting looking at you and if they're judging you, you can see it. And if you're weak that day, you'll catch it. But for me, I remember uh, walking out and oh, I just saw lights, bright lights and loads of faces. And I just thought, Do you know what? I'm here to deliver. I've got three rules when it comes to public speaking. Number one is manager state. And I got this from Paul McKenna. Uh, manager state. Number two, know your content. And number three, speak with passion. Get yourself in the right state. Make sure you're there. Know your content. Because when you know what you're talking about, you never have to remember what you're going to say. Mm. If you walk up there and it's too organized and you trip over or forget or whatever, you're gone. If you know what you're saying, it'll come out and speak with passion. The way to do that is to look at the crowd and think, what do I want these people to take for this talk? What's the number one thing I want them to get for this? Walked out, spoke to those people, and after it, it was great. Still the adventuring, but after it, with loads of people coming up looking for selfies and all that sort of stuff, my social was blown up. I had a podcast, my LinkedIn following was massive, Facebook page, massive podcast, YouTube channel, or they say podcast, Instagram. Um, I was just under 20,000 people at that point on Instagram, and that gone for very little. Just boom, 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 up you go. And I remember feeling like a bit of fraud, to be honest with you. Because even though uh, I'm always about being direct and being straight, I kind of thought about the people who were coming up looking at me, and, and they're wanting pictures with me, and they're wanting to talk to me. And I'm thinking, you're putting me in a pedestal as a model to live by. Sure, I might live a good life. Sure, financially things might be great. But I was significantly overweight at the time. It was two years ago. I was way overweight, um, like proper, uh, very unhealthy at the time. Got four wee girls. I wasn't seeing them much because mm. I was traveling around doing all this stuff. Um, I wasn't seeing much of my wife, working all the time. Wasn't enjoying life, Tony. I was just stressed out and fed up. And yet, going online and projecting this image of I've got it all sussed out, I've got life figured out. 
you know, there's different ways you can do social and different ways you can do speaking. And this is, I, I'm very open here because I remember the film Eight Mile with Eminem. And at the end of the film, um, he's having the rap battle yes. with Future. And basically Eminem goes first. And he basically takes the piss out of himself. And then he looks at the other guy and the other guy's getting nothing. He's getting nothing. Mic drop, done, right? Eminem wins. And that had a big impact to me. And it really came back to my mind in 2018 going through this because I realised that my social and the image I was trying to portray was one of posturing. It was always based on what we were doing. Mm. You know, it wasn't even about lying, but it was posturing. It was the way a lot of people do their marketing and they say, I am this big thing. I am bigger than I am mm. because people feel like they're smaller and they feel that like they need to level up in the eyes of the public in order to win business. Yeah. And I felt like that too at the time. And that's why it was always big messages of doing well and killing it and loving life and putting pictures online of, you know, the cars that I was driving and my motorbikes and, you know, painting the picture of this perfect life, which, which to an extent it does work. And there's nothing wrong with it if that's how you live and if it's it's fair place of honesty. But I just felt like it wasn't authentically me. Mm. And I remember standing at the, the VIP event with Cardone and we're up in the sky bar at the Intercontinental and we're talking to these people. And I just did this thinking thought. I thought, you know what, I'm I'm done. I, I am I'm I don't want to be part of this anymore because it wasn't just about what we were doing with Grant. It opened me up to being around lots and lots of other speakers. We had lots of people wanting to speak at the event. We got to know some great speakers and be part of communities with other speakers as well. Good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, a lot of good ones as well. But I just really started to see a lot of cracks in the industry. I began to think back about the years I'd spent studying Tony Robbins and Christopher Howard and Harv Ecker and all these guys. And even though I got a lot of good fate, and even though I probably wouldn't be where I am today without that stuff, there was also a lot of harm done mm. by a lot of things that I learned, by a lot of the things that I took on, by a lot of the things that I spent money on that I shouldn't have. And I just thought to myself, I don't want to be part of this industry anymore. I don't want to be flying that flag. I'm going to go and live my life, do my business and crack on. And so after that event, I destroyed my social media, took down the YouTube channel, I uh, deleted the Instagram account, got rid of LinkedIn, got rid of Facebook, got rid of the podcast, got rid of everything. In fact, the one thing I kept was LinkedIn, but I turned off the follower function, which wiped out over 25,000 people. Wow. Uh, I just got rid of the lot. Mm. And I thought, I'm just going to focus on me. And the funny thing is, and this is probably quite important on a podcast like this to touch on, is that <sighs> it felt liberating. A lot of people don't want to be social. They know they have to, but they don't want to. Yes. And it felt liberating. It felt very freeing at first. But over time, I started to realise a couple of things. One of them was that if people don't know you, they can't do business with you. And if I'm not putting myself out there, if I'm not flying the flag for what I believe in and what I'm doing, then I'm actively giving up business to the person who is. Yes. And the other thing that I realised is that Social media didn't have to be about posturing. That if I came through a very, and this is going into 2019, this is when I really changed, and a lot of people who know me saw that change. I realized that if I was just un, like unapologetically me, then I would actually feel lighter when I was sharing. Mm. And I wanted to come back online and share, and I share a lot of content online. I've got nothing to sell. I've got a media company. I've got interests in lots of businesses, but my primary concern is a media company. And I don't go in and push that. I don't sell it. I don't push it. Me selling me attracts people to that company. But the things that I put out, there were no agenda. I'm not trying to push anything on people. I'm, I've got no agenda. I simply share content online because I want people to hear real advice for somebody who's actually done it. The problem with that is that many people want to be told that get rich quick as possible, that they can have overnight success, they can make millions with a click of a button. People want that, so they're more likely to follow the people who sell them that dream and less likely to listen to somebody like me who said, oh, fucker, it's hard work. It takes time. It takes consistency. Here's how you do it. People don't always want to hear that, but the right people are drawn to me. And I really like that now. So coming back online for me was actually therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Because I started to get 
depressed again. I started to feel lonely again. I started to feel down. And I started to feel like I had a lot to share that could really help people. And I'm not doing it. So why the fuck am I not doing it? Mm. So, you know, over the last six months or so, I decided to come back online, put Instagram back up, LinkedIn. That's my two things that I'm focusing on. And all I'm doing on there is sharing real advice, no agenda, no bullshit, just sharing real things with real people who are ready to hear it. And I promised myself that when I'd done it, it wouldn't be about look at me. It would be about look at you and how can I say something that helps you? If you go to my Instagram, it's I've got nice cars. I've got nice motorbikes. I have a lovely home. I've got a good life. But you don't see that. On my Instagram, you see flashes of it in stories, but what you actually see is real, raw, relevant, no bullshit chat designed to help people out, you know? And I'm not asking them to follow me. I'm letting it happen organically. And I know that over time, the right people will come and they'll get some things that they need to hear. And I can go to sleep at night knowing I've done something good in the world. Where do you go from there? Like from... Do you, let me ask you this one question before I, I dig a little bit deeper. Do you regret switching off all of those media channels because a lot of the things that you will have had on there will be assets like your YouTube videos that were giving value and helping and supporting like the social media posts that were telling people this is how you do X, Y, or Z, this is how I got to where I have. Do you regret losing those now? I don't... Um... Sometimes the numbers make me a bit sick because I'm like, shit, about something there. But no, I don't, because those assets, those videos and so on, that that was the old me. That was the old version of me, you know? A um, little bit of bluster, a little bit of posturing and the odd bit of bullshit. Um, and, and that's not who I am, you know? I've got a wee kind of philosophy that the person who has nothing to hide is one of the most powerful people in the room, mm. you know? Sometimes when people are selling something, it's like if they're selling a, a blue carpet, suddenly they're a massive fan of blue carpets and all that they sell that blue carpet, you know? And if the guy drove in in a Mercedes, it's like, oh, Mercedes, oh, my dad's in a Mercedes. And it's just bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And, you know, I think that that can be very tiring when you're living in that fast-paced hustle reality because you're always having to try and remember who you said what to and what you said where. And it's when old content comes back to haunt you. And plus, you're always growing as a person. If you're not growing, you're dying, right? And in, in, in my mind, if I'm always growing, then I want to make sure that the content that I put is always relevant. And if I look back on this interview one year from now, I want to make sure that I'm actually looking back at some of the things I'm saying today and thinking, oh, fuck, did I say that? You know? Because I've evolved into a new version of me. It's a bit constant progress and expansion, Tony. That's, that's the way I look at it anyway. I love that fact that you've said you don't regret it. I think that comes back to what you'd said earlier on around the kind of, it can be set up again, not just the socials, but any business where you've made mistakes in the past. It's like, well, I've got the knowledge from that. I've learned from it. And what can I do better this time? What can I take from that that was a lesson to improve better? And that's, you know, I, I love your social posts. There's so much of just you. I talked about ABC earlier on, and I think that congruence of you being you and showing that on your social, your social just being you, you know, in the media formats and, and pretty Sorry, finish what you're saying now. I'll, I'll jump in. Say, I'm pretty sure it's you. I'm probably. I hope I'm giving credit to the right person. Is it yourself who who I've heard saying is that your social media just needs to be an extension of you? Yes. Yes. Is that what you were just social is an extension of you, whereas before it was an extension of what I wanted people to think of me. You know. Yeah. Uh, but another wee thing I'll throw in, even though this is a podcast about speaking and stuff, the, the, when I decided to make that change in 2018, 2019. It, was, it wasn't just about social media, it was about life. It was about what am I no longer willing to accept in my life and what do I want to bring into my life? Who am I in the world? And there was a lot of changes that I made back then. Um, for example, like I said at the start, most of the companies that I'm involved in is through shareholding. Mm. I own and control and I run the company that does the marketing for these other entities. So um, we've just bought a mortgage business recently. No one will ever know that because it's nowhere to be seen. It's shareholding value only, but we do all the marketing and we own and control and consult. Yeah. Uh, an outdoor advertising company called GoGo Vision, same story. 
and all of these different entities, I cut off a lot of businesses that I was invested in that I no longer felt aligned with. Yes. It's known that they were bad businesses. In fact, none of them were. They were all brilliant in different ways, but they weren't working for me mm-hmm. anymore. And even recently, Tony, even in recent weeks, I've been going through another little shift in my own life where I've been looking at what I'm doing and thinking, does this light me up anymore? Does this make me happy anymore? Am I, Billy Farrell, enjoying this thing? Where should my focus be? So I'm going through that again just now, but I went through that very heavily in 2018, 2019, and just cut a lot of shit, wiped the face of the earth clean of anything with me, and instituted Operation Kill Bill with my team. I said, wipe me off the internet, because when I come back, it will be different. You know? And again, it's not that what I'd done before was bad or wrong, it's just that it didn't feel right for me. It felt posturing, bullshitty, selling the dream, you know? And I just, and the funny thing is, I've never actually really sold anything online. I, I subscribed to the model of being the lighthouse. In fact, at the other side of my office facing me, there's a big picture of a lighthouse on the wall. Uh, because some people, the, the tugboat, they push, they pull, they expend a lot of energy to sell. I like being the lighthouse. You stand up, shine your light, and the right people will see it and they'll be drawn in. And if that message resonates, off you go, you know. But I just wanted to be more me, more authentic, more no bullshit. And that's why a lot of the content I share online these days has very real topics in it. I mean, I've I, I've shared everything for the vasectomy process that I went through and related it to fear to, well, four little girls. I mean, what do you expect? I've, really, I've spoken about that publicly. I've talked about bankruptcy. I've talked about failing. I've talked about losing a building company. I've talked about all these different things. Because I don't want to hide anything. I don't want to have to worry about anybody ever bringing anything up. I just want to bring it out and use my fuck-ups and my life experience to help other people avoid the same. That has so much in it. And I talk a lot about damaging admissions being the things that you've... And the fact that you've learned from them. Um, And I talk around that, but I think you've just showcased it perfectly. I love the analogy of the lighthouse, you know, that you attract people to you or the beacon of light that shines there and people can either choose to see it and migrate towards it or not. Really love that. And I think there's so many lessons in there for anyone who is new to speaking or presenting or for people who are facing those same challenges. Maybe they've been, you know, the person posturing or the, you know, the fake it till you make it or believe it till you can achieve it type person out there on social rather than because you used the phrase earlier on it's exhausting you can only be you to be something else to try and be something that you're not or someone that you're not it takes time it takes energy and that could be better served in different areas and you've talked a lot around service around helping people around showing people what you've got and I think that's how you attract people to you I think that's why you don't need to the irony being that you are a marketer but you were a marketer who doesn't sell you know, you're not the marketer who says this is me and come and buy stuff because people buy into people. I've said that all the way along. You know, you are the advocate for the business. And if you're bringing a team of people along who subscribe to that same mentality and the same methods, I think you're creating something absolutely awesome. Um, there's a load in it. I mean, I could have this podcast run, but I'm conscious of your time. I know that you've got to run shortly. Ten minutes. So. Ten minutes. <laughs> okay, in which case, I'm going to do some quick fire if this is okay then, because I think nope. no matter what, we're always going to get openness and honesty. Is that okay? Sure. Best speech or presentation you've ever done? <laughs> God knows. I don't know. I don't know the answer <laughs> to that. Um, Doesn't have to be for the best result. The one that just sticks in your mind is the best one. I don't have one, Tony. And the reason I don't have one is because every time I walk off a stage, the first thing I do is look at what I did wrong. Yeah. And uh, I ask the, the team around me, the people around me, how can I improve? What did I do wrong there? How can I be better? And then only after like leaving the event do I actually sit and think about, well, that was actually quite a good talk. You know, so generally speaking, I don't really, I, I don't live my life based on yesterday's wins. I live it based on what I'm doing and delivering where I'm going. Looking forward rather than looking backwards. Yep. You just screwed up some of my quick fire questions, so I won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Best piece of advice you've ever read or received? Anything business-wise, life-wise? Okay, two things. One of them, 
was uh, a few years ago when someone said to me that the best thing I can give the world is a healthy me. And um, this was around about 2018, 2019. Um, they said, the best thing you can give the world is a healthy you. If you are stressed out, worked up, overwhelmed, you know, hustling your way through life, you're going to burn out. And most people know that feeling, which is why I actually am very stoic. And, <laughs> in fact, right behind me, you've got this giant memento mori coin on the wall. And if anybody's not familiar with Stoicism, a great place to start is uh, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. That takes a lot of the old ideas and, and kind of brings them forward into understandable terms for today. Um, well, how did they go into that there? Why, what was I saying that for? When you were talking, <laughs> best piece of advice someone said give Oh, I, yes. Yeah. I, so I try, I try to be very stoic in my approach. And that comes partly from that advice I was given and that um, the best thing you can give the world is a healthy you. When I look after me, when I spend time every day looking after me, I'm a better dad, a better husband, a better business owner, a better leader. And I share better content because I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm moving forward. But when I don't look after me, nothing good comes from me. I'm short-tempered with the kids. I'm not the best man I can be for my wife. You know, my team don't get the best of me. I need to look after me. And that's why every day I've got non-negotiables. Non-negotiables. I know this. Some people will talk about, oh, you don't have to be, you don't have to take ice baths and cold showers and do all this stuff to be successful. No, you don't. But I need to have my fucking head in the right place. Otherwise, I'm a head case. Yeah. Because a lot of people in business are operating a game of extremes. It's not necessarily a game of, you know, just flowing through life. That's, that's what most people who work in the employed world do. They just get on with it, right? I can't get on with it. I'm, I'm either boom, up here or boom, down there. So in that game of extremes, I need to find ways to level myself out every day. Otherwise, I'm just insane, you know? So every day I have an ice bath. I've got a giant hot tub. You see it on my Instagram. Um, I've got a giant, it was a, a big wooden hot tub I got built in Lithuania, sent to me, and I've got cold water in there. It usually sits at about six to seven degrees, which is perfect. But I put ice in it a couple of times a week. I get in that every single day and do my wee gratitude thing every day without fail. So for anyone who's not yet followed Billy yesterday, I seen it. I only saw it this morning. <laughs> caught up and we put that much ice in it. It was at what one and a half degrees. One and a half degrees. Aye. One and a half degrees. Yeah, and uh, that's that takes. It's about winning the game inside. It's about winning the internal game. Um, so there's that every day five days a week I do weight training um, every day of the week I go for a walk and that counts as my cardio because I'll usually go pretty fast mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm no standard cardio I'm, I train for strength and size and I don't want to um, burn into that muscle so it's about walking fast paced walking for me but although I could go on about this all day but I've got other things that I do every day just to make sure that I'm a healthy me and that has to happen first so I'll get up early before everyone else. I'll tidy up so that my wife gets up. Our cup's sitting there with a tea bag in it, our smoothies sitting waiting, the kids' bowls are sitting out. I'll go for my walk, get in my ice bath, do my wee routine, and then I'm going into the world healthy me. I'm not rushing at the door and taking all my drama with me. So that's the first kind of big bit of advice I got is um, best thing you can give the world is a healthy you. And the other bit of advice that really stands out for me is from Tony Robbins, which is, if a thing is humanly possible, consider it within reach. I mean, in the Western world, there is something like 46 million millionaires, which is just insane, right? I mean, if, if one person had achieved something that you want to achieve, is it possible? Yes. Might it be difficult if only one person had done it? Absolutely. If 100 people had done it, if 1,000 people, a million people, now it's getting a lot more possible. So when I think of the idea of possibility, I don't look at a business and think, never going to work. I look at it and I do my own due diligence on it. I look at who else has done it. I look at what's possible, what other people have done, how I can add to that. And then I determine whether or not I'm going to invest in it, whether or not I'm going to take that business forward. They don't always win. (laughs) They don't always win. I mean, we started a, a pub, nightclub, restaurant side of things a couple of years ago. It bombed. It was a disaster. And um, people will say, well, wait a minute. I thought you knew what you were doing. I do. But you don't always get it right. 
So you play the game of risk based on where you're at and what you can afford to lose on the downside, you know, and then you move forward. So that was the second bit of advice. Um, if a thing is possible, it's within reach. Love that. And also the fact that, you know, that when you analogise it, you're, you're quite a logical thinker is the way it comes across in terms of, okay, that's how, how do we turn this theory into logic? How do we turn this? How do you become a millionaire? Well, there's 46 million millionaires. Therefore, there's this many across the UK, blah, blah, blah. And you, you turn it into logic. And I really like that thought process because for many people who do think, oh, well, it's out of my reach or it's out of my, you know, my remit, mm-hmm. actually you can reverse engineer and determine whether it's feasible or not. So there is one last question that I have, and I like the fact that sometimes I'll ask questions and they make people think that's the whole point in this. So what is the one question that no one's ever asked you, but you'd love someone to ask you? What's the one answer you want to give that no one ever asked you the question for? You prepared me for this. It's <laughs> the one question. It doesn't count. <laughs> no, it's true. What is the one person uh, question that I wish people had asked me that no one ever asked me? Oh. Tony, what are you doing to me? Okay. Do other, do other people answer this? Um, I don't always bring that out when you ask it three or four times, and it has to be a certain type of person for me to ask that. Don't always ask it. But what I do say is if you can't think of it now, let's make okay. a follow-up social post. Hmm. Okay. Let me think on it. I think a lot of people I think not enough people ask real questions. That's the problem. They ask superficial stuff or things that they think have to be the case or they, they take face value on people and then they make a judgment on that. Um, like I run money, for example. Um, some people will make assumptions about me financially because of the businesses that I own, because of the businesses that I control. It's like, oh, Billy's a multimillionaire. Now, that's a funny statement because in terms of net worth, yes. In terms of asset value, yes. But liquid, that's a very different story. Because if you've got money sitting in the bank, then it's no working for you. You want to be putting that back to work. So I would love more people to ask me real questions on things like that so that I can give real, practical, honest answers so that I can talk to people about, you know, the the real practical shit when it comes to business. Love that. Mm And the reason I ask these questions is my plan is later down the line to collate some of these questions and ask them back to people, not just one of them, but multiples of them, because I I think that we can learn so much from people. And I think sometimes, exactly as you say, you know, we learn the surface level and some people like that and don't want you to go any further, which is why before I hit record on any of the podcasts, I'll always say, is there any avenue you don't want to go down? Is there any question you don't want to be asked? And most people will say, no, I'm an open book. But sometimes we don't take advantage of the open book. Sometimes we hit surface level, and I think in a short space of time like this, I'd love to dig deeper later down the line. So if you're up for it, I'll ask some of those questions later down the line. Let's do a round two if this goes well. Let's get a round two because, honestly, Tony, I I just want to share good shit. Uh, I'm working on a a book just now, and the book has no commercial intent. I just want to put good shit into the world. And it's funny because people tend to hear things like that and they don't always believe it. They think yeah. there's some sort of angle or some sort of game. But there's no... no for me, at this point in my life, at this point in my life, I'm 37, but at this point in my life, after all the shit, the good, the bad, the indifferent stuff that I've been through in my life, I just want to see good people do well. You know, I've got people who contact me online who are clients and they'll say, how'd you do this? And I'm like, I've told you three times, fuck off, go and do it and then ask me something different. But then I've got other people who've got uh, no link to me whatsoever who'll message me on Instagram and I always answer. I always answer because I just want to see people win. That is how I keep my mental health in check. Uh, If I I didn't do these sort of things, I don't know that I'd still be here. That's the truth. I've had far too many almost at the edge and at the edge moments um, through a lifelong battle with depression. And... Being able to steer other people away from bullshit and being able to steer them towards what they really need to know and saying things that people don't always like to hear, but doing it with the best intentions to help them based on what I've been through, that keeps my mind in the right place. That helps me sleep at night. That helps me feel I'm doing something good in the world. So uh, as long as I can keep doing that, I'll be a happy man fantastic and if people want to hear more around this because you put lots of content out on social media you run a podcast yeah. so 
if people want to connect with you, want to learn more about you, what is the best avenue for them to find you? Okay, easy. I've got the podcast I stopped a while ago. Uh, I'm considering how I'm going to work on that again. Um, but the best thing for me is I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram. That's the two platforms that I'm focused on. It's different content on both because it's a different environment on both. Mm-hmm. Um, find me on either of those platforms. And if you go to Instagram, if you go to my profile and you click the, the options to see all posts, then you'll get notified when something new comes up. But it's real, raw, relevant shit. And uh, if you struggle to find me on there, go to billyfarrow.com or followbilly.com and you'll see the links for both on those pages. And if anyone is looking for anything to do with the media side of things, then listen, ask me that as well, and I'll happily point you in the right direction. Thank you so much for sharing. I know you've you've on time constraint today. Thank you so much for sharing. I definitely would love to do a follow-up because I think we can definitely dig deeper into the, the mental health side of it, the ability to overcome obstacles, the real deep meanings and, and metrics around measuring businesses to get to success, whatever that means. I'd love to. So let's do a follow up on that. Thank you everyone for listening today. You've been listening to Tony Gargan on the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast with the fantastic Billy Farrell. I will put all of the links in the boxes below so that you can connect with them on all these different social media platforms. And make sure you listen up to round two where where we'll be digging even deeper. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tony.